We are in the Gospel of John as we continue our, continue our study in the Gospel of John, and we're in, um, in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The text before us says this, John 14, verse 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Jesus says to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To place the setting of what is being spoken here, I want to remind us of, of, of some things. We are... In the final hours in the life of Christ, he will be crucified the next day. The disciples are there with, with the Lord, and Judas has just recently left. Um, Christ identified him as the betrayer and told him, what you do, do quickly. So Judas has left. The disciples are there, and they're, they're in a place of, Hearing that he is going to leave. Being in a place of saying, you're not going to leave. I'll I'll die with you. Confronting him on these things. John, the author of this particular gospel, has laid his head on Jesus' chest as he's there. Intimacy that is there is so sweet as well. But they've walked with Jesus now for three years. For three years, they have been with him. They left their fishing nets. They stopped being tax collectors. They've left their their families and, and have gone and followed him wherever it is that he went. It's not just that they, that they followed Jesus, but let's talk about who it is that they're following. They're following the creator of this universe, God himself, who became flesh, who became man. They're walking with him. They're sleeping in the same room as him. They're going from place to place and hearing him preach and hearing him speak to the people. They're seeing his eyes when he's having the little children come unto him. They're watching him as he does things that nobody else does when he goes and reaches out and touches the leper and says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And they're just, they're watching everything that he's doing. They're seeing him doing things that, doing things that nobody else has ever done. They're seeing him Multiply fish and loaves, turn water into wine, make lame people able to walk, to take people who are dead and cause them to rise again from the dead. But he's looked at them and talked with them. When you're with the one who is the Holy One, the one who knows 
all things, the one that knows everything that's in your heart, and yet there's just grace that's just pouring out upon them. They have been with him, and they have fallen in love with him. Um, They're still sinners, and they still say ridiculous things sometimes, where we look upon what they've said, and we're like, oh my goodness, why did you say something like that at that time? And yet, we're not real quick to throw stones, because we see it within ourselves. They've been in, in a place of um, just being loved unconditionally by him. He has never sinned against them. He has always done what was perfect for them. He always spoke truth to them that would just pierce their hearts, but that would be used in such a way to bring them to him. He's God in the flesh and exalting the Father, every part of his ministry here on earth. And they have grown to love to be with him. They have their flesh of who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom and and who's going to sit on this side of you and who's going to sit on that side of you and who could be the closest. Surely they've been amongst each other and said, well, we got to go see him be transfigured, you know, and talking to each other and being their own sinful selves, but they know that the only thing they've ever seen in him is perfection, purity. And he knows that he's about ready to leave them. He knows that they are all going to depart. He just told them that. You're all going to depart from me. He knows that they are going to, some will see him die on the cross. Peter, he just told Peter, you'll deny me three times. He knows all the details of what is going to happen, but he is knowing that he's about ready to go to the cross and they are going to be broken. Their hopes are going to be in a place of, what do we do now? We thought that he was going to be the Messiah. We thought that he was going to set up his kingdom now. And they're going to be devastated. He knows that three days later he'll rise again from the dead and appear to them. He knows that they will all believe on him. He knows that Satan's going to try to sift Peter, but Peter belongs to him and he will return. There's great confidence in the Savior as far as he knows how things are going to work out, but he loves them. He knows that some of them are going to go to Russia and some are going to go to India and some are going to go to other parts of Asia or Africa. Europe. He knows they're going to go and they're going to leave everything and they're going to have seen him and they're going to go to the uttermost parts of this world proclaiming the gospel and some of them will be crucified upside down and some of them will be impaled. Some of them will be stoned to death. Others will be beaten. He knows all of these things that are going to happen to him. He knows the tragedies that lie ahead for him and he knows that they have come to a place of just having the sweetest, sweetest time with him. I mean, you think of the psalm that that Pastor Jeff chose for the um, call to worship this morning from Psalm 63. You hear the, the words of the psalmist where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Goes on, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Thus will 
I bless you. I'll lift up my hands to your name. I'll, I'll worship you. Now, this is the psalmist who has been there and, and, and has known his, his God. Now God has been in the flesh with these disciples to where how much more would they think of him and be, oh, I just want to be with him. I miss him. I, I feel like I'm in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I, I just, I want him. I want Christ. I've walked with him for three years and now they've crucified him. Now he's gone. And we see the sweetness of the Lord where we'll find later that he sends the helper. He sends the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave them alone. But he knows that this verse is going to penetrate their hearts and they will remember it. And it'll be something that comes up to them over and over again when they're in these times going to the uttermost parts of the world or hours from now when they see him go to the cross. This this section of verses is not only for the disciples, but it's also for us. How many of us have been in a place where our hearts have been troubled? When I say that, when I say, how many of us have been in a place where your hearts have been troubled? Every person in this room has a different thing that comes to mind immediately. The first thing. Your hearts have been troubled. You know what it is to have a heart that's troubled. You know what it is to have a, a heart that is grieving or it's scared or it's weary. And this message that we come to from our Lord to the disciples this morning is for you when you are in that place of having your heart be troubled. He's looking and knowing everything that you could ever possibly experience everything that the disciples could ever possibly experience. He knows that they are about ready to experience something that is just going to just devastate them when their Savior, when their Lord, when their friend is crucified. And many of them see it. And so he begins by saying to them, let not your heart be troubled. I want to make a note on this just briefly. None of the disciples are going to him and saying, how can we minister to you right now? You seem troubled. Or you, you're different. You're speaking right now about going to the cross. Or if they had known, you're about ready to go take the sin of the world upon yourself. How can we care for you right now? How can we minister to you right now during this time? None of them are in that place. He's listening to them like, no, you can't wash my feet. He's listening to them saying, who's going to be the greatest? He's watching them as it's going to take place in the near future where he says, can you pray with me for one hour? And they're going to fall asleep over and over and over again. He knows that all of this is going to take place. But in this time, at this place, when nobody is ministering to him, when he knows that the time is at hand and he's about ready to go to the cross and he's going to be scourged and he's going to be pierced. There'll be a crown of thorns put on his head. He's going to be spit upon. His beard's going to be plucked out. He's going to be mocked. And he's going to have it be where the 
fellowship that he has with the Father is separated as he takes the sin of all of us, eternity and hell, the wrath that we deserved upon himself. He knows that this is about ready to happen. And in that moment, in that time where he's about ready to take all of this upon himself, his biggest concern is them. To me, this is just, oh, how he loves them. I mean, he, he knows the time's at hand, and he goes to them and says, okay, let not your hearts be troubled. Let me minister to you right now. Because what's going to happen pretty soon for you is going to be really hard on you. And yet nobody in the history of this universe has ever experienced what he's about ready to experience hours from now. The reason why I think this is important for us to know is because there may be times where your, your thoughts are, where is he right now? And why, why does he seem so distant? And I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving and I just, I need him right now. Please know he is there. I mean, if he's going to minister to these guys, hours from the point where he's going to go to the cross, if he's going to minister to these guys when they're talking about who's going to be the greatest, if he's ministering to these guys at this particular time, how much more for you who've been washed as white as snow, who've been made his children, who have been made his people, who belong to him, how much more will he minister to you at whatever time it is in your life? When he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, loving us, caring for us, please know he is there for you. If he is there for the disciples hours before he goes to the cross, he is there for us today. And so he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. He's not saying this because he thinks, necessary that this might happen, they're probably already at a place where they're troubled. They're hearing the things that Jesus is saying and their hearts are troubled. And he's saying, okay, don't let your heart be troubled. Now let's look at the reasons of why he gives for them not to have their hearts be troubled. You, you believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the first thing that he gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Arthur Pink on this section says, believe in God, believe in his absolute sovereignty, his infinite wisdom, his unchanging faithfulness, his wondrous love. Believe also in me. I am the one who died for thy sins and rose again for thy justification. I am the one who ever liveth to make intercession for thee. I'm the same yesterday and today and forever. I'm the one who shall come again and receive you unto myself and you shall be with me forever. Yes, believe also in me. These disciples, they believed in God the Father. And Jesus saying, now believe also in me. They believed in God the Father to where they would have known the Psalms. Just, you think of the psalmist alone, where the, psalm, the psalmist would say certain things like, like, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast? Why are you like this? Hope in God. They believed in God. 
In Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the to the other sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our home. So the disciples would have known, like, believe in him, hope in him. Psalm 56, verse 3, whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. Psalm 56, 11, in God, I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? They had a view of God as such that we trust him. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's my strength. He's my refuge. He's the one I can depend upon. He's the one that I can cling to. Believe in him. And so Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Trust in my sovereignty. Trust in my strength. Trust in the grace that I pour out. Trust in the love that I have. He is attributing full deity to himself. As we go through our passages here, all throughout the Gospel of John, all throughout Scripture, we see the deity of Christ. But right here, he is just specifically saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. You can trust me. From there, he says, in my Father's house, are many mansions. The first thing he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Have faith in God. Trust me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. The next thing that he says for the wearied heart, for the troubled heart is, in my father's house are many mansions. Are many mansions. There's many places to stay there. That's an incredible comfort to us. When you think of the most troubled times that we have, to be in a place of, it doesn't end here. As Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is there. We belong there. We have a home there. Not only that, but in my father's house, where my father is in heaven, there's many mansions. There's many places to say. There's many dwelling places there. Not a few. There's many. There's enough for all of us. Not only that, but we spend time where we are going is in his house. It's not you get to go to heaven and there's all these different planets and hopefully you get one that's decent. Maybe you'll have a view of the throne. The cheap homes don't have views of the throne. No, He goes to a place of, your citizenship's not here. It's in heaven. In my father's house there, it has many dwelling places. There's many places. You're going to live with him. You'll be with him. 
You're, you're not slaves. Rather, you are sons and daughters. You, you've been made heirs of Christ. You belong to him. You will be in his home. You hear people say like, oh, that person, went, they went home to be with the Lord. And we think of that as just kind of like a little phrase, like nicer than they, they croaked. They died. We say, we, they, they went home to be with the Lord. Why, why do we say it like that? Because it's precious to us. They've gone home. I, when I go to places like Africa, there's sometimes where it's, it's a little bit rough and you just, you, you, you. There is something wonderful about coming home. Your own bed. A bathroom. When you're in Africa, these things are things that are good. You're thankful. Slurpees. Things that are precious, like home. There's, this is, these are things I think about when I'm in Africa. What would I do right now for a Slurpee? But to think home, whatever is good about home here is glorious there. It's infinitely greater than the things that we treasure here on earth. And we get to go home with him, to be with him. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says that little phrase there, and it just brings us to a place of this is true. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I speak the truth. The only thing that comes forth out of my mouth, Christ says, is truth. I would have told you if it was like, try to get a good place. Try to get the best seat. It's not the situation at all. I would have told you. If if it wasn't like this, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I think that these disciples thought about that frequently throughout the remainder of their lives. I've gone to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come. You can be sure of that. I will come. I'll come. I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I'll receive you to myself. I'm not going to just simply send somebody like, okay, go get them, tell them I'm over here. I'll come and get you. We have a picture of that in Revelation 21 where it says, John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And John talks about like this new place where it is. Coming down from heaven from God prepares a bride adorned for her husband. And, and I heard 
a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he'll be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I, I will come. You will be with me. We see in scripture that there's this trump that comes from God and what happens? Christ comes for his people. The dead in Christ rise first and us who remain are caught up with him. He comes for us. And then he says, and I will come again and receive you to myself. Receive you to myself. I'll bring you back with me. You will be with me again. I think that's all that they desire. I mean, as the course of their life goes on, I just, I just want to be with him. The more you fall in love with Christ, that's the most that you're going to think about, is I want to be with him. I appreciate um, a book that, that John Piper wrote called um, God is the Gospel. Part of the reason why is because he just, he's, he's talks about most Christians today where he says a lot of people, that if, if they could think of heaven, I'll summarize, if, if they could think of heaven and say like, I get to go to heaven, there's streets of gold and there's pearly gates and I get to be reunited with my family and there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more suffering. All, all those things are gone. There's no more sin. You, you get all that, no death, none of it. But if God wasn't going to be there, would you still want to go? And his response is, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I'd still want to go. Like, I, I get more excited about the streets of gold and the pearly gates and no more sin and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death. I, I get really excited about those things. And, and God's going to be there, too. And I, I think that the more you grow in your knowledge of your Savior, you would just assume stay here so long as he's here with you. You want to be with him. You want to be with your Savior. You want to be with your Lord. Gold streets, brilliant. I'm sure it's beautiful. But if it doesn't lead to him, what's the point? You just want to be with your God, with your Savior. You want to see him in his glory and look upon the one who died for you and paid the price for you. Just long for him. You just want to be with him. And so Jesus says to them, I'll come again and receive you to myself. He says to them from there, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Now, Thomas at that point says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Now, Thomas should have known. I mean, Jesus had taught him and over and over again had pointed to, to himself. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, John three thirty six. Thomas should have known that. So many other passages at that point to, to he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But I'm glad he asked it. I mean, honestly, I'm just glad he asked it. I'm glad he asked it because you kind of just want to hear it again. 
And Jesus shares the most incredible truth with him at that point. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to go where you're going. I don't know how to get there. How do I get there? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. May may this be clear to us in this time in which we live, in which the most gracious, honorable, esteeming thing in the world's eyes is to say something like coexist or all roads lead to heaven. Everybody looks at it like that. Like, you guys are so narrow. That's like really, really narrow. You're like, you're like extremists. Just like you have radical Muslim extremists. You're extremists. Like if you're saying that your way is the only way, that's mean. And they put us in that category. Radical, fundamentalist, nuts. These people are crazy. They cling to God and country and stuff like guns. This is stuff that they cling to. And we look and say... That's not our message. That's his message. Jesus doesn't say like, well, just, you know what? Do your best at whatever you can do and you'll get there. He doesn't respond to them like, Thomas, you know the way. Just try to have positive thoughts. (laughs) He's very clear with them. He just says, you know the way. I'm the way. I'm the way, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I'm the ladder, I am the one, I am the only way, I'm the way, I'm going to lay down my life for you, I'm going to shed my precious blood for you, I who am without sin, the perfect lamb of God, without spot or with blemish or any such thing, is going to become your atoning sacrifice, I will be the one that will make intercession for you. I'll be the one and only mediator. I'll be the one that makes it so that, that whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. I will be the one that does that. I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the only one that has truth. I'm the only one that speaks truth. Everything else is false. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. There is no life in any other. You want to know how to go with me? You want to know how to be with me? I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. There is nobody that will come to the Father except through me. That is the only way. This is a passage in which I'll frequently use at a funeral. Some of you maybe have been to some of them. I'll ask three questions. Where, where is this person right now? What do you think they're doing right now? And then point number three is, how did they get there? 
And some of you guys have been there when I've done a funeral, and maybe I shared those verses in that particular funeral. Where are they? They're with him. What are they doing? They've entered into the joy of the Lord. They are worshiping him in spirit and in truth and all that is within them. There's joy that's inexpressible. It's full of glory. There's nothing that compares to where they're at right now. How'd they get there? Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is alive. And there's no one that could come to the Father except through him. That's how they got there. For us, these are the points that Jesus gives us as far as why your heart should be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. Number two. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You will be with me. Comfort yourselves. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come, and I will bring you to myself. This life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. But you will be with me. And I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's not by your own efforts. It's not by your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. It's not by you crawling on your knees to some sacred place or making a pilgrimage to Mecca. It is not about obeying the five pillars of Islam. It's not about doing a two-year missions trip. It's not about going to church. It's not about how high you raise your hands or how loud you sing. It is about, is your faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, who went to that cross and died to take your sins upon himself and to give you his righteousness that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And there's no one who could come to the Father except through him. Amen. May our hearts not be troubled in the hope of the gospel and our God and our future and that we get to be with him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage. What a incredible passage this is. Is you in the final hours of your life minister to these disciples and as a result minister to us. I pray, Lord, for troubled hearts that are here this morning whether it be you're anxious or you're grieving or you're scared, you're sad. Maybe there's just a weight that's upon you. We serve an amazing God who's in heaven. But he's gone to prepare a place for us. He'll bring us to himself. We'll spend eternity with him. And he's done it all through his work upon the cross. That simply by believing in him, placing our faith in him, we won't perish but have everlasting life. May that be the truth that your Holy Spirit works in our lives to just relieve us of troubled hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.